So today we're looking at um, John chapter 4 and um, Jesus and uh, this Samaritan woman. And um, uh, I'm choosing not to read the whole chapter um, because of time, but I would encourage you to, to read John chapter 4 when you get home. It's just a wonderful a really wonderful way of um, looking at the way that Jesus engaged with people. And, um, but just to say, the relationship between the Jews and Samaritans was complex, and, and we have a it's, a, it's, it's a chapter on conflict, actually. And, um, and uh, the Jew, Jews and Samaritans, uh, she was a, the lady was a Samaritan woman, Jesus was a Jew, um, you could say it's a bit like um, Maori and Pākehā uh, in, in our land. Um, and uh, you could say that. It's probably a bit more intense than that. But um, when I listen to some of the under, underlying things around Maori and Pākehā that are still floating around, a, a man said to me res- recently, a, a Pākehā man, he said, you know, you know, Doug, we'd have to say that we'd be, we would be a bit more intelligent than Maori people, and um, and like it just happened for you when you heard that that was hurtful. That's that's still there among us, and um, and I had to be very careful. It wasn't all open like a rash. Um, but what I did say to him was that um, do you realise that the early Maori was seen as being incredible entre- entrepreneurs? The, these white colonials uh, noticed how entrepreneurial they were and um, incredibly bright and, um, and, um, and they really embraced, in fact, they really embraced the Christian faith uh, because it really, it really engaged with um, their cultural uh, beliefs as well. So they embraced the faith. In fact, if you look at it, there was a, a revival happened uh, amongst the Maori, but they got disillusioned when they saw us Pākehās um, acting anything but in kingdom ways. And so, um, and there is still some mistrust around that for, uh, within Māoridom today. So, so there were some things between us as there was between the Jews and Gentiles. However, possibly, it may have been a bit like for you older ones, the the uh, Northern Ireland situation with England um, some years ago uh, that's probably, prob- um, I think, settled down a lot now, but there was very, very distant. So this chapter kind of has a bit of those tones to it. And, uh, and so today is Pentecost Sunday. Um, you know, the, the today is the day where God established, where Jesus established his church on earth. Uh, Jesus had just left He'd gone to be alongside the Father. But the church is not left alone. The Holy Spirit comes upon all who are called into this body of Christ. And that's the point of um, Acts 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power. You hear that? You will receive power. And today is a day of power. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses all over the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and also to your whānau, to your family. And, um, and this body of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is called to work together 
as God's fellow workers, following the example of Jesus, and establish and grow his body, the church here on earth. 1 Corinthians 3, 8 to 11. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. So this is us. For we are, God's, we are co-workers in God's service. We work with him. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than that one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Crazy as it sounds, Jesus calls you and me into conflict. That's how, that's how this whole thing works. So what does conflict have to do, we may ask, with this? Well, when I look at Jesus and the Apostle Paul, both of them were very deep characters and it wasn't long before the small, small group of followers realised that conflict was all around them. And now they're getting hammered by it. And rather than, the, rather than retreat, they asked for boldness and, and sure enough, God answered their prayer. I wonder, I wonder when was the last time you asked for boldness to engage in the way that God wants you to engage. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Listen to this bit. Have you hung around long enough after you've prayed to, to see it happen? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you experience that? It's a wonderful aspect of the Christian faith to experience the, the power of God coming upon you in a way that, whoa, you think, this is extraordinary. But that's part of the Christian faith. I wonder if something inside us looks for comfort and safety. And I wonder whether we need to pray those types of prayers more often. I know I do. And I find strength beyond me at various times. That's challenging, eh? That's quite challenging to kind of think this way. Because remember, we're starting to, we're to, we're to think this is a countercultural. Christianity is counter the culture of today which is all about gaining the lazy boy chair. Right? We're not to live that way. We're to, we're to live a different way. So let's take a peep into a conflict situation Jesus created. He created this conflict. And maybe get some pointers for ourselves. For the sake of time, I'll just take, take some points from this encounter. And in fact, Jesus said a lot about himself in this encounter. I'm not going to talk about that too much. I'm more talking about Harry engaged this woman in this uh, conflict. In John chapter 4, uh, Jesus had been walking and at midday, Jesus sits by a well and asks a Samaritan woman for a drink. Let's drink, read it. Jacob's well was there. 
And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy some, been through the drive through Maccas and were on their way back, and, um, or the KFC. And, um, and so they went there right now. They, they'd, they'd taken off. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This will you give me a drink, left the woman totally conflicted. Totally conflicted. Now Jesus knew the history of the cultural issues between Jews and Samaritans, but those six words from Jesus were huge for this lady. They were life-giving, but she didn't know it yet, and she pushed back. My wonderings right here, what was Jesus really doing? What do you think Jesus was doing? You think Jesus wanted some water? I think he did. He was thirsty. What else was going on? What else do you think Jesus was doing? He was opening up a dialogue with this woman that was going to have eternal consequences. Do you think Jesus would have known how much this was going to affect her? Do you think he might have known how much it was going to affect others? See, I wonder... When we actually start to do this sort of stuff, it doesn't just affect the person on the other side of us. If we do this sort of stuff well, it affects all around they and us. It affects everyone. One of these times I'll do a, a sermon on, um, on Shalom and we'll talk about Jesus being the Prince of Shalom and, and how that affects culture. And how we are to affect culture with that. We'll come to that some other time. I guess there would have been that difficult moment in conflict where you wonder, how will they respond? You've had that? That's the difficult bit, Ange. That's the difficult bit, eh? When we get into conflict with someone, how will they respond? Often um, makes me wonder, will I ask? Will I go into conflict? Anyway, in verse 9, she gives a logical answer. As Jesus and Samaritans, they don't dialogue like this. This is not how it's supposed to be. It's an awkward moment. You know those awkward moments, eh? The awkward moment you say, if I say this, this is going to be really awkward right now. If I say this, it's going to be awkward. It was like that. If Jesus says this, he knows it's going to be awkward right now. And it was. If we put ourselves in the story, the Jesus side of the story, would we, or are we up for asking the provocative questions? Are we up for those? And don't nod your head sideways. It's supposed to go up and down, mate. <laughs> right? 
So you won't be able to sing up here, you know, unless you can start putting that nodding up, up and down, right? So um, that wasn't the right reaction, right? Um, so um, are you up for asking the provocative questions? Because this upside-down way of living, which is called Christianity, calls us to that. We're called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. It's a challenge. The questions whereby we may well get a reaction to us. What I notice is that for people who aren't comfortable in conflict, the term for that is called conflict averse, there is a real fear around this sort of engaging. We saw it last week with Abraham and Sarah, didn't we? Abraham was conflict averse. He was not going to ask the difficult questions. In fact, the most loving questions. Tell me what's happening for you, darling. He wasn't up for that. What I notice is that people who aren't comfortable in conflict, they're conflict averse, there is a real fear around this sort of engaging. And we in the church kind of think that's okay. The lady that was up here a few weeks ago, Red Shoster said about her husband, he doesn't like conflict, and he nodded his head as if it's all really okay, and I thought to myself, oh, I thought, oh, I wonder where that comes from. Right? And wonder what, I wonder if we, rather than celebrating the fact that we're conflict averse, will we actually ask each other the questions around what's happened for you that that's where you're at? Another complication is when we are hurt, when we've suffered emotional pain or all sorts of pain, we often don't feel safe to cross the street to another person's world. Right. You see, when we are hurt, what seems to happen, what I've noticed seems to happen for people is that, that we, we don't want to take a hit. We've taken too many hits already. And so therefore, it's another reason not to ask the provocative questions that Jesus calls us actually, Jesus' example is that we ask. That's worth thinking about. It's worth pondering. So let's move on. Jesus now starts to tell her, tell her a bit or a lot about who he is and what he can do for her. But in verse 15, in verse, uh, but in verse 15, she doesn't at all get what he's talking about. So Jesus now does another interesting dialogue and interaction with a woman. Let's read this one out. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. So Jesus is talking to her about what he would give her. Then, then he says to her, listen to this bit. Now this is real awkward, eh? Go get your, go call your husband and come back. He, she, and she says, eyes down, I've got no husband. And then Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, You've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Whoa. 
What's happening here? All right? Remember, we're talking about conflict. So what's going on here? So what do you think Jesus is doing here? Is he trying to be a bit of a smarty? See, I'm a bit of a know-all. I kind of know all about you. What do you think Jesus is doing here? I wouldn't mind a bit of dialogue on this one. What do you think Jesus is doing? This is, by the way, a real, real, uh, this actually happened. This is not a story. This actually happened. And this is how Jesus functions. Getting under his skin. Getting under his skin. <laughs> Good one. Yep. What's that? Telling the truth. Telling the truth. Yep. Sure is. Gone to her pain. Yeah. Yeah. I see you, I know you. There's something about being seen, isn't there? We all want to be seen. We long to be seen. Jesus is moving her out of her head into her heart. Counselors call this, I'm not a counselor by the way, Counselors call this layering, layering someone down. What that means is they're, they're going from here down into the very core of their being. Right? You see, Jesus knows that transformation happens in the heart, not the head. That's the point of asking the difficult questions or exploring in ways that help people get to their hearts. What I often too, um, I, I often um, in a situation, I, I disciple some men, a man, a, a man called Dallas Honeymar, we disciple men each week. And I might ask them, so what's going on inside you? And they'll tell me something from their head and say, no, I didn't ask you that. I asked you what was happening inside you. What was going on in here? And um, when other guys first hear that, they say, oh, gosh, I'm not used to that. Never seen that done before. And, um, and uh, so we teach men how to know when someone's talking from their head and from their heart and how to help them to move from their head to their heart. This is what Jesus is doing here. Because Jesus knows that transformation comes from our heart. Acts 16, 14, the Lord opened Lydia's heart, opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When I was listening, was a woman from the city of Theatera called Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She, she was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This is a challenge. And, um, and the challenge for us and the risk for us, you see, it's risky when we ask someone, tell me what's really happening for you. That's when it gets messy. That's when it's in the room between us, like these chocolates. So what happens is, and so when we go head to head, it's kind of like playing tennis. You know, your head, and then my head, but when we open up people's hearts, what happens is it's kind of on the table and we start playing, playing with that. That's what Jesus is doing with this woman. He's helping her engage her heart. 
My question for us is, have we spent time learning how to get to people's hearts? It doesn't seem to come naturally to most people, and especially if we haven't let Jesus transform us out of conflict aversion, the fear of man sort of stuff, then we are shut down to the sorts of conversations that allow people to be open and vulnerable with us. To be truly heard and seen which is the cry of all humanity. I know this is a difficult concept to digest, but we belong to a radically loving and caring Saviour. He cares for us enough to be humiliated by us, to be pushed back by us when, when he comes according to us. Do I love in that way as well? What happens for you and I when people push back on us? Are we able to stay there? Are we able to invite them to go deeper and ask what's really happening for them? I'm going to start to now draw this in a little bit. Jesus tells her in verse 26 that he is the saviour and to say this has been a beautiful conflict must be true because let's look at what the Samaritan's woman, what she does in verse 28 and 29. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. In other words, he's the saviour because she said um, something about I want him to know the saviour. Then, Jesus, then just then his disciples returned from the, from the Maccas and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. And I, come, I may come back to this in a minute. But what they, you see, they were thinking through natural eyes. Jesus was thinking through spiritual eyes, which is where we're supposed to think. But no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see, listen to this bit. This is about being really vulnerable. See, this is how we know he got to her heart. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Ooh. This woman and Jesus, their transaction had been vulnerable together. Really vulnerable together. Could this be the Messiah? You see, this is the fruit of conflict. I think I've got Genesis 2.25 here. I haven't. Genesis 2.25 says, um, you know, before Genesis 3, you know, everything's stuffed up in Genesis 3, eh? Uh, but before Genesis 3, they, 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 they walked together in the garden. There was vulnerability between them all. Between God and humanity, there's vulnerability. You see, Genesis 3 stuffed up that vulnerability. And Jesus brings it back. Jesus brings us back to the Genesis 1 and 2 story. And this woman was 
naked and felt no shame. Genesis 2.25 This is the fruit of conflict done really well and safely. This woman wasn't taking the places that she wasn't prepared to go. Jesus walked well with this woman. By this time, the disciples are back with the KFC, totally disregarding, disregarding the woman. It's like, Jesus, the food's going to get cold. It's going to get cold. Yo. And, um, and we know that it's going to come that in a minute. And totally disregarding the woman, and Jesus has another conflict now to deal with his disciples. John 4.35 When Jesus is saying this, he's saying to this in rebuke, He's saying to them, guys, start thinking through spiritual eyes, not natural eyes. Start seeing, the, seeing people as, as God does, who's at work in every person on earth's life right now. Even Vladimir Putin. He's working in his life right now. Everybody's life. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? In fact, it was when they were saying this. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So Jesus now moves to a second conflict. He says this in rebuke. My followers don't look through natural eyes. That's what he's saying. They look through spiritual eyes and engage in meaningful ways with what they see in front of their eyes. My question for you and I, what are you and I seeing in front of us? You think of this week. What are you seeing in front of you? Very early in my Christian walk, I learned about this. I decided to take Jesus seriously about how to engage with people in the world. I learned this at home. One night, on the 3rd of January, 1990, I became a Christian in 1983. In 1990, on the 3rd of January, my, we were up in the hospital with my dad, my, my sisters and myself and my, and my mother, and my dad was about to die. He was about two or three hours off dying. We're up in, in Princess Margaret, and he had that kind of gulping breath thing going on. You think, you know, dad's dying. And um, what is that gulping breath thing called? Yeah, when someone's about to die. Pain what is it? Pain yeah, yeah. So, so your dad had that going on. So you knew that dad's about to die. And so we're all sitting there in grief and, and shock and that sort of stuff. Dad had a big heart attack about a week beforehand. And um, anyway, um, my mum goes up to my dad. In the, and he's lying on the bed and my mum goes up and gives him a shake, just a small shake and says, Ralph, that's my middle name by the way, um, Ralph, um, if only you could tell me you love me. I'm thinking, oh. So I'm sitting there and I hear that. That's in front of my eyes right now. So I didn't go up to mum and say, mum, what are you saying? No, no. 
I kind of put what she said there in my hip pocket. I thought, ooh, I will come back to this at another time. Mum was not a Christian. At uh, that time, I, my, I was the first Christian in my family. My sister led my sister to the Lord after that. And, um, uh, and mum and, and dad weren't Christians. And, but mum said that. And, and over the next few months, mum would ring me every now and then and say, Doug, I'm not doing too well, so I'd go and see mum and have a chat with her and that sort of stuff. And then, um, and I was waiting for the right time. And then uh, along the way, I said, oh, mum, uh, said to her one, one night when she asked me to come around, I said, mum, do you remember the night dad died? She said, yep. I said, um, do you remember what you said to dad? And she said, what did I say, Doug? I said, do you remember giving dad just a wee shake and saying, Ralph, if only you could tell me you love me? And she said, she said, Doug, I've remembered that to this day. She said, I'm quite confused. Why did I say that, Doug? I've often thought about that. So I said, Mum, why did you say that? And she said, Mum was stuck. She didn't know. So I said, oh, Mum, um, she said, I don't know why I said that. I said, Mum, did you not know your husband's love, my dad's love? Eyes down, Mum starts to cry. She says, no, Doug, I didn't know. I didn't know. Uh, Dad's love. Mum, did you know your father's love? No, I never knew my father's love. Mum, there's another father who loves you in heaven. And he'd like to love you tonight. Mum, would you like to know Jesus as your saviour? That night, my mum came to Jesus. She became a Christian that night. What a joy as a son to see your mother come to Christ. Especially as a 65-year-old. We had no Christian upbringing at all. Nothing like that at all. Mum empties the fridge out the next day. The, the fridge was full of booze. Mum empties the fridge out. Mum had come to Jesus. That's what I saw around my eyes. And I knew it wasn't at the time uh, up in the hospital. It just wasn't appropriate to talk to mum about that then. You see, around you and my life, there's lots of hurt going on. There's massive amounts of hurt. We are always relevant when people are hurting. Jesus was a physician to that lady that day. Let's go now to verse... Um, 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans, listen, this is, this is so beautiful. This is, see, when Jesus really works in our lives, he doesn't just affect us, he affects the culture around us. He affects the community. He, 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 he affects the whanau. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. You see, what happened to that woman was such a transformation that all of those people around her, who would probably be a bit iffy of her, 
especially the woman, if she did five or six husbands, you know, you'd be keeping an eye on your man, sort of thing. And um, so they're more than likely a bit iffy of her. And here they are, actually embracing her and Jesus. This is a great story. You see, when we do things Jesus' way, the church grows. It always grows when we do things his way. Are we having these types of conversations and seeing the kingdom of God grow around us? Let's pray. Lord, this is a challenging way to live. To keep our eyes open and to watch for pain all around us. Lord, that's how you functioned. And Lord, you call us into conflict. You call us into those places. And you call us to be sensitive and kind and caring and safe. And to engage with people in such a way that that they can let out their pain and find solace in you, Lord, through our lives. Not only by the words we say, but, but how we model this way of living. Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we pray that, um, Lord, if we've uh, if we haven't found conflict easy, Lord, that we'd allow you to take, this, uh, take us on that journey to heal and grow confidence in being able to do this well. In Jesus' name. Amen.